Welcome to Success Stories, the podcast where outstanding women share their journey to leadership, the personal habits that have helped them succeed, and the projects they're passionate about. Join me, your host, Catherine Robson, as we redefine what success looks like. Anna Lival's success is testament to the benefits of being open to opportunities and flexible in your thinking. She's built an impressive portfolio of both skills and activities and consequently is highly sought after for her authenticity, creativity and boundless energy. Anna joined the $80 billion retirement fund Unisuper a little over two years ago as Chief Information Officer and has since led the multi-year, full-scale digital transformation of the organisation. Having commenced her career in technology at one of Australia's most successful startups, Seek, Anna has a history of leaving things better than she found them. She enables strategic change through the application of disruptive technology and using data and statistics to better inform customer experience. Anna's a graduate of the Australian Institute of Company Directors and the prestigious Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT. She's also a fully qualified and practicing yoga instructor. Hi, thank you for saying yes to speaking to me today. That seems like almost your whole philosophy on your career. That's right. Great to meet you, Catherine. Thanks for inviting me along to be part of your podcast. Uh, you're right. I have built a career on saying yes to every single opportunity that's come my way. Usually I say yes and then I get scared and really have to think about how I'm going to approach something when I go outside my comfort zone. But for me, it's really helped accelerate my learning. Um, and now I'm obsessed with learning. You're pretty unique. So you're an outgoing woman in technology so I can imagine if you keep saying yes, you could just be stretched so thin that there's just not enough of you to go around. Firstly, is that your experience? And secondly, how do you manage it so that you stay whole and functional? Um, that's one of the things that I'm working on, a development area. Um, so over the years, I have said yes to everything and often found myself worn out. Um, I can now pick the pattern um, so I've worked with a, a coach and a mentor around how to identify myself getting into that. So I sort of see it as a spiral. Um, I can now identify it within about two or three weeks of saying yes to too much and I can pull myself back out of it. And so does that mean you've had to tailor your philosophy in terms of, of either not saying yes so fast or sometimes saying no or how have you managed that? So for me, it's really thinking about the time that I can commit and the availability that I have. And I, I don't say no, I actually just push it out. So mm. I'll still say yes, but I'll actually just give myself more time. And I also rely on the help of others. So I've got an assistant at work called Maria, who's amazing, and she really helps me keep that balance. And in terms of thinking about the things that you're most passionate about, technology obviously has been at the centrepiece of your professional life, but it really goes way, way back to when you were primary school age. How did your love of technology emerge? So I have a, um, my mum is a school teacher and my dad worked at the Gas and Fuel. And for some reason, my dad thought it was important for us to have a computer in the house. And so when I was... So he wasn't using computers at work? No. He was... Isn't he an amazing person? Mm -hmm. Um, so he uh, bought our first computer when I was eight years old and I taught myself how to code. Um, and nowadays when and I share... presumably you didn't even know what coding I was. I didn't. No. And nowadays people think, oh, you must have learnt from Google or watched a YouTube. No, it was from a book. <laughs> this is back in the 80s. <laughs> so I taught myself how to code. And for me, I've always found technology quite easy. 
in terms of being able to learn it. Um, and I'm really interested in it. I have a lot of friends that work in technology. So for me, it's a conversation. That's how I learn. I talk to other people that work in different businesses um, and really learn about how they're applying different technologies. And it seems, again, like you're a bit different from the stereotype we have of a technologist who's um, isolated, doing stuff in a dark room in the middle of the night. As you say, you like talking to other people, but you're also quite entrepreneurial. So you've sort of had a business a mindset from a very early age. Mm. So when I was 18 years old, um, I was still finishing year 12. I actually started my own business in in the July. So as soon as I turned 18, um, I borrowed mum's car and had a stack of business cards and drove around to different clients' homes and taught people or businesses and taught them how to use computers. I know this sounds odd now, but this is back in um, 1993 it was. Um, I wish that service still existed. (laughs) There's so many times I think, oh, can I just get a human being to come and show me how to do that? So back then was when um, the internet was just coming about and people couldn't really get their head around what that meant. Um, back then we used to call it the World Wide Web, you might remember that. But also um, email was just being introduced as well as Microsoft Office. And so I actually built a business out teaching people how to use those systems. And what happened to that business? So I actually uh, uh, did that for about four years and then I had built my first house when At I was what age? 20. Um, yes. And I found that I needed a more stable job. So you had built up enough savings to go to the bank to get a loan to fund yes. the build of a house at 20. 20, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I look back now and think, what? Well, and even my parents ask me, what did we do to you? Like, how did we raise you to have a daughter that's like this? It's, yeah, it's. Something that and I don't know. So do you think that sort of instinct, I mean, who knows, nature, nurture, mm. but was there anything that you can point to other than there being a computer in the home that really switched you on to learning? I think for me, it's mum being a teacher. Um, but what was also interesting is I think a lot of parents put a lot of pressure or expectations on their children, whereas my parents just let my sister and myself be ourselves. And so for me, I didn't have the pressure it was me feeling like I could set the goalposts and I could determine who I wanted to be and what I wanted to do with my life as opposed to my parents expecting me to be something. And that passion has translated into a lot of the work you do today, but particularly around teenage girls and experience they have around technology. What are you doing in that space? That's my um, key passion. And for me, I think I'd think back to being a teenager and then into my 20s. And back then, there weren't many female role models working within IT. So I think, first of all, it's very important to me to be a role model to younger women. Um, But also, I have a goddaughter who's uh, 16 years old, but about two years ago, failed IT. And my partner also works in IT. He's her godfather. And I said, what are you doing, Georgia? And so for me, she said, IT's boring. And so I've been working actively um, in that space, um, most often with Girl World, but with some other groups as well. So what's Girl World about? Girl World is actually a, a group that started up around creating a really engaging way to talk to teenage girls about careers in STEM. And so um, um, Madeline and Edwina started that. and they're Madeline very, Grummish. That's yeah. right, yeah. And so they're really passionate about it and very creative in the way that they go about engaging teenage girls. And I just love participating in that with them. So I've played a role in two of their Melbourne events and one of their Sydney events, but also had someone come and job shadow me for a day. Um, A teenage girl. Correct. Yeah. Which was just fantastic. I love it. Do you have some advice though for educators? Because presumably it's one thing to go to Girl World. There's, you know, hundreds of other girls who are excited and then you go back to school 
and the classroom experience of technology is not nearly as engaging. What what would you be suggesting to educators and also to parents to maintain that enthusiasm, you know, as as girls but also boys move through the educational experience? This is something I actually think corporates need to play more of a role in. I don't think it's reasonable to expect teachers to be able to keep pace with technology. And so one of the ideas that I've got, and I'm putting it out there because I don't know how to progress it, is that I actually think um, corporates could then participate more in IT classes at high school um, and really help bring that, the real life experience in and the emerging technology and then the commercial acumen and the business acumen that really make IT successful and meaningful to the classroom. And then I think from a parent's perspective, it's really encouraging um, teenage girls and boys um, around careers in STEM because for me, you can see that technology now is everywhere. And so a, a career path within IT um, is very a very promising one. And I think it's really parents that can help encourage their kids to, to do that. One of the things we hear a lot about in relation to teenagers, but I'm sure it relates to adults as well, is the mental health impact of the pervasive nature of technology in our lives. What's your view about how to balance your, your humanity with, you know, technology offering, you know, great uh, advancements, but also challenges? Mm, I think it's down to the individual. And so for me, it's being um, aware, so self-aware of the impact that it's having on you. And I do little things like manage myself. I know what I'm like. I actually don't have my work email on my mobile phone because I know that I would then never switch off. So I only have my work email on my iPad. So I choose when I work. Um, and for me, it's other things like I used to be on Facebook, which I'm not anymore, because I found I was on it all the time. And, and once again, I don't have Instagram on my phone. I just have it on my iPad. So I think it's thinking, it's knowing your habits and your behaviours and then managing yourself. But you also seem to be very good at having a, a very uh, enriched offline life. What are the things that you do offline that, that keep you sane? So I love catching up with my friends. Um, I love eating out. So that's sort of my thing. Um, I really enjoy yoga. So I did my yoga teacher training a few years ago and that's my space where I go to have quiet time. So I feel like I'm always on um, and that's the time when I'm on the mat that it's really Anna time and I just don't really think. Um, but the other thing is I've got two golden retrievers and I'm obsessed with them. So I spend a lot of time with them. Um, I live in Richmond. So I, I find that in Richmond it's... Um, so which is in the inner city of Melbourne. Correct. So, so it's like three kilometres from the CBD and it's hard to build a community in a, in a place like Richmond and I find having dogs is how you get to know people. Because people um, talk to the dogs correct. and then you're sort of attached to the, yeah. The yoga is really interesting because one of the comments I, that resonated strongly with me is, is I've heard you say when you went to do your yoga accreditation, you sort of felt like you weren't good enough and then that was a light bulb moment to question, are there other things that I'm limiting myself in? Can, can you explain that experience and how you've implemented the learnings from that in other aspects of your life since then? Mm, so for me, that's the most impactful time of my entire life and not just from a career perspective. And I went into my yoga teacher training not knowing why I'd even signed up for it. Something and where did you do it? Somewhere here in Australia? Or it was in Richmond, So, um, but the teachers were actually from the US. Um, so and you sort of took time off work to do it? or you doing? Yeah, no, I took time off. It was the hardest time of my life physically. How long was it? 100 hours. Yeah. Yeah, it was um, in one week. Wow. So, yeah. Oh, two weeks it was, sorry. Yeah. Um, and so for me, I went into that um, telling myself that I was too old, not fit enough. Everyone else doing the course was in their 20s. 
Um, and so for me, I was doing headstands and handstands within four days. And after that, I really reflected on what else am I telling myself I can't do? And I was telling myself I was too young to have my dream job. Uh, didn't, hadn't studied enough, hadn't had enough work experience. All, uh, there was a list of reasons why I think I was holding myself back and really thinking about those and the impact that they were having on me, I think it's had a, a significant um, impact on the, on the things that I've been able to achieve in the past few years. And do you have your dream job now? I do have my dream job. So what is your day-to-day, well, what is your title and, you know, what does your day-to-day look like? So I've been with Unisuper for nearly two and a half years. So Unisuper is a huge Australian superannuation fund. Do you want to give us a bit of context around what sort of organisation it is and and what your role is? Yeah, terrific. So we provide um, superannuation services to um, employers of universities, so lecturers and researchers, and we manage just over $70 billion of funds under management for our members. It's a big responsibility. It is. Um, And we have about 400,000 members. Wow. And so my role um, when I joined two and a half years ago was to lead the IT organisation, the business unit, and I've just taken on a new role, a broader role on the executive, and that's now looking after um, technology as well as projects and our member administration, so all the services for our members. And for me, I'm really motivated by being able to bring those three different groups together and really have such an influence and impact on the experience that we provide our members and our employers, and also then our employees. What was the role of technology when you joined? Because often technology is one of those sort of back, back, back office functions where every dollar you spend on it, everyone sort of resents and no one understands what those guys back there are doing. Was that the experience here? And have you been able to bring that forward, as you say, onto the sort of leadership thinking or was it already something that the organisation was focused on? No, for me, I think you've articulated where we were when I joined two and a half years ago. And for me, it's not a superannuation thing, so it's not an industry-specific thing. Prior to joining Unisuper, I worked at PwC and often had... Um, clients where you would actually go in and need to transform the IT organisation. And I think now that IT is at the centre of every single thing that we do, um, for me, treating it as back office, um, first of all, you're not really doing yourself a good service around servicing your customers, but also it can get really expensive and have large budgets and a lot of unnecessary complexity. What's your vision for how an organisation like Unisuper, which is very complex, a high level of responsibility, high level of regulation, what's the role of technology um, for this organisation, particularly given that it's a transformational role, sort of a, a transformation that you've been undergoing over the last few years? Mm, that's right. So I, I really see it in three different elements. And at the very heart of it, I think it's being able to have a technology a capability that is flexible and scalable for whatever Unisuper needs of it. So that's what we're building out and that's what the transformation is undertaking for us. And there's two other elements. And the other one is compliance. So basically meeting all of the um, regulatory requirements that we have. And the last part is around keeping our members' data safe. And so we've got a massive focus on information and cyber security, um, and that's including educating all of our employees on keeping our data safe and also putting in the, the monitoring and all of the processes that we need to make sure that we um, are keeping our data safe. I've heard you talk in the past about the importance of automation and AI, and I, I know that's aspects of the plan that you've been implementing here. As a society, I think we wrestle with the idea of what does that do for the world of work? 
in terms of this workplace, how have you thought about how you embrace those technologies without displacing the human element of the service that Unisuper provides? So for me, I think the people, humans, play such a massive role in technology. I don't think you can replace the elements that we bring to the table um, through automation and AI. For me, it's still people that are designing, building, implementing and using technology. And so for me, even though we may look at automating some processes that we have today, I actually think that there's new opportunities coming through through these emerging technologies. And do you think also that it relieves some of the stress and burden, particularly in financial services, the regulatory expectations have heightened enormously and the level of trust that consumers invest in financial services organisation has been dented in a whole range of ways, but particularly the Royal Commission in Australia, that, that actually automation frees up the human beings to do work that they really enjoy doing, that they're really good at and relieves them of some of that stress and tension that they've missed a tiny little step in the process that then means there's a catastrophic problem. That's right. It builds in the reliability um, and really ensures the quality and consistency of the way that you're working. So going back to the start of your career, after you finished university, did you study computer science at university? I did have not been to university. I've studied since, but ah. because I was running my own business and building a house, I actually went straight into the workforce. So I've gone back and studied, oh. um, but at the time I didn't. Oh, that's just so fantastic. It's Well, I just think that's such a great demonstration of, um, as you say, having the drive to do what you want to do and, and learning in its fullest form. So Seek was one of the first places you worked. I think Seek... Um, at the time had only been going for three years. What was the environment like when you worked there? Seek was the most amazing workplace experience. So that was 18 years ago that I joined Seek. How many employees did they have at the time? 100. There was 30 people in IT. And at the time, the company was still um, losing money, so yet to make a profit. And for me, I really learnt a lot around workplace culture and it set the bar for me around what good looks like in terms of creating a culture where people bring the best of themselves to work every single day. But also I learnt how to get a lot of work done without money. And for me, when you've grown up in a more corporate or a larger environment, often budgets are large and it's easy to get access to money. And for me at Seek, we were so creative in the way that we got things done um, for a lot less. And so does that, well, firstly, did you know at the time it was such a great culture or was it only on reflection afterwards that no, you recognised it? I was young, naive and took all of it for granted. And so that I loved my time there. Um, I often look back and think, did I leave too early? Like I wish I'd stayed longer. But and for, why did you leave? For career opportunities. So back then IT was still 30 people. Um, I could have become either a developer or a tester. Um, I was already working within a project management capacity. Um, and so for me, it was just limiting in, in terms of the next career move for me. But it has been as I've got older and become a leader that I've really reflected back on my leader at Seek, who's now one of my best friends. Um, but also what made me go to work every day and just love going in. And so I think about that a lot in, in terms of the way that I engage with employees and how I want to be as a leader. So what's your advice to people who want to follow in your footsteps and become a leader, whether it's in a technical role or some other capacity? Do you have things that you reflect on that you think they were really helpful or, or they were things that because I've embraced, I've been able to do what I want to do. So for me, I think it's considering, um, I read this the other day and I love it, that being a leader is actually act an action. 
It's not a job title. And I think to be a really effective leader, an, an authentic leader, you actually have to do a lot of work on yourself and be really self-aware and be open to feedback. And sometimes that's feedback that is hard to hear. But for me to be the best leader you can be, um, it is really putting yourself out there and showing vulnerability. What other things uh, have helped you that, that you recommend to other people? Because I'm sure there's lots of people that come and ask you for advice mm-hmm. and for mentoring. So I think the first thing is that a lot of people come to me and ask uh, for me to be a mentor. I often find people need what I call a power hour. So a lot of people need some direction. So there's a problem they're looking to solve or they're feeling stuck or looking for some advice on what to do next. And so for me, I encourage people to think about asking people for advice and you can call it a power hour, as opposed to needing an ongoing mentoring relationship. But for me, I've always had coaches, I've always had mentors, but I've been very fortunate to have um, several sponsors throughout my career, and they have the most significant impact on my career and the opportunities that have been offered to me. And those are sponsors within the organisation that you've approached formally and said, will you be my sponsor, or has it happened sort of organically? So they find me. And I think that's an interesting thing. I've been asked that before. If you go and ask someone to be your sponsor, I find that it's someone who sees something in you that either reminds them of of themselves or they identify talent and they do it with, it's not even discussed. I describe them as a sponsor. I don't know that they would. So I, I acknowledge that that's the role that they've played in my career. In terms of other things that have been helpful or that you recommend, what about books or other resources? Um, They don't necessarily have to be business related. There's multiple ways that I learn and I do read a lot of books. I do watch a lot of YouTubes. I'm always reading. I love all the articles on LinkedIn and, and things like that. But for me, one of the biggest learning opportunities that I've had is to actually observe other leaders. And so I, was, um, I did a business development role um, just prior to finishing up with Telstra. And that was a global role where I got to go around um, all over the world and meet with Telstra's customer CIOs. So CIOs running really, really large... So chief information officers. Correct. So really large IT um, business units and organisations. And for me, I got to watch how they interacted with me, how they led their team. I always asked them about what their strategy was and what they were trying to achieve. I learned so much through that. And they were honest with you? Because obviously a customer supplier relationship often has its own tensions to it. So that's fascinating that there was that level of comfortable disclosure. I think it worked well because I'd always had a tech background. So I only did that sales role for about two and a half years, but the rest of my career has always been in IT. And so it was very easy to go into those meetings and build rapport easily because I'd grown up doing the same things that they were trying to do. And so my my advice is look for different ways to learn. I think even that example of observing people is a great opportunity for that. And then last year I applied for a scholarship with Chief Executive Women and I was fortunate to be successful in that and went across to MIT for six days um, in Massachusetts and did um, an intensive course on driving strategic innovation. And for me to meet, I mean, the content was amazing, but to meet about 50 business leaders from all over the world was such an amazing experience. And I've been able to build networks um, that I wouldn't have had. And do you think Australia is a big enough canvas for you to be painting on? Is is there sort of global domination for you in the future, do you think? Uh, I love Australia. I think that's the thing I want. I I love it. I don't want to leave my friends and my family. Um, And I think for me, I'm motivated by making a change in Australian business. Um, But if the opportunity arose, 
New York would be my place. Well, it's so funny. I can see you in New York. Mm. You just have a New York sort of – anyway, who knows what, you know, retirement products Unisuper might be building in the future that might have a, you know, global vision. Going back to books, though, are there any particular books that you would recommend, whether they're fiction or nonfiction, or podcasts that you're a sort of regular listener of that you would recommend? I listen to uh, Claire Pales of 27 Lanterns, has a podcast around information and cybersecurity that I really enjoy. Which sounds really dry, but presumably there's light and shade to it that makes it Definitely. interesting. Yeah, Claire's very engaging. Uh, for me, I'm the top, I just pick up books constantly. Um, I read different books. There's one about 25-minute meetings I don't because I'm obsessed with um, breaking down the meeting culture that we have in corporate Australia and really... Chal- Rather than do work, you just meet and talk for an hour. Yeah, and be really clear about why you're going into a meeting and what you want to achieve in, in that time and make sure you're using the time effectively. Um, I love reading biographies, so I really enjoy those. Any greatest hits? Uh, Michelle Obama, amazing. Did you listen to the audio book or did you read it? I listened to it, Her yeah. voice is just incre- – it was incredible to listen to that many hours of – felt like Michelle was your friend by the end of it. One of the things you've been very generous with is your time and, and as you say, being a, a role model and, and creating a vision for um, the sort of diversity that we would hope to see in tech but in all sorts of aspects of um, corporate life. Do you sometimes get a bit weary, though, that there's not – more of you that that you know that, that there's sort of um, a default to oh Anna's a tried and tested commodity. We'll just ask her to do it rather than there being a more thoughtful approach to who else might be able to sit on panels or present. I've actually never considered that before. Um, for me, I'm always looking for opportunities for others to be on panels. So I think I would do that naturally, as opposed to me thinking about. Um, about um, how many people are coming to me. Um, For me, I love it. I don't even, I love it. I get so much out of it. So it's not even, I don't, I don't consider it. A a timing cost. It's almost like an investment in your happiness. Because you've also talked about, you know, building a portfolio of different activities and, and you've got your own consulting company in the background and you've got your yoga teaching. What made you want to build a portfolio and, how would you recommend to others to go about that? So I see a portfolio career as a like a pie chart and I really think about how I want to spend my time. And so even though I am um, Unisuper is my full-time employment at the moment and I'm not actively working in my business, for me I still look for the variety and I actually think that's what makes me who I am and it's really important that I'm out meeting other people to make sure that I'm, it helps keep your skills current but also building out your network and so for me there's an element of my pie that's my yoga, there's an element of my pie that's around girl world, my job and then I've also um, just been appointed to the board of Ambulance Victoria which is fantastic and that adds another element to my portfolio career which I'm really excited about. And the board work, how has that been informed by your relationship with the board in some of the organisations that you've worked for in the past but particularly given your senior role here at Unisuper, how has your ability to contribute as a director, been informed by reporting and engaging with the board? So when I left PwC, I actually did the company director's course, knowing that I was coming into Unisuper and would be working for the CEO. And I think for me at the time, I knew that I'd be reporting to the board on a regular basis, but it was really around me understanding what the CEO was needing from me as a new executive 
um, and also around um, understanding what the priorities of the board are. And I now report to um, the board and two subcommittees on the board on a very regular basis. And so for me, I'm welcoming the opportunity and the learning um, of me then joining a board rather than um, presenting or reporting to a board. And do you feel like at board level, uh, your board is amazing and one of my favourite people, um, Jane Den Hollander, is on your board who is is very open-minded about technology. But is that a challenge when you're a deep technical expert <clears throat> reporting to a board where there might not be the same level of familiarity with the details? I think for me, that's one of the things that I bring to the table is that even though I understand technology and I'm very passionate about it, I can put that into business terms and business language. And I think I've, been, I've really focused on that um, since my late 20s. I really saw a need to be the conduit between the business and the technologists. Well, it's been amazing to talk to you. When you look forward, what are the things that you feel really excited and positive about? I'm really excited about working um, in my new role at UniSuper and bringing those three different groups together and being able to focus on how we're going to personalise our service more for our members and also really think about how we can deliver on all of the compliance requirements and continue doing a great job of delivering change in a timely manner back to our members and employers. Well, it's so fantastic to talk to you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks, Catherine. Every week I find a nugget of gold in each discussion, something I want to take away and implement in my own life. If you feel the same, I'd love to know how my guests touch your lives. You can leave a review on iTunes or get in touch on LinkedIn or Twitter. Thanks to the awesome Buffy Gorilla for production. Alicia Piper for her fantastic writing and to Broke Free who wrote and performed our theme music. See you next week.